And welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Show, the podcast that is as dignified as a Chris Boyd goal celebration. I'm Andrew Slavin, and it's been another typically boring seven days in Scottish football. A horrible week for Hearts, but Turnbull turns Motherwell's season around. Lewis Ferguson fires in another winner for Jamie Aberdeen, while Colm cracks down on Candace's kisses and cuddles. Later on, we'll be joined by a man who plays for the only unbeaten side in Scotland, as well as being a podcaster and football writer. Alongside me in the studio from The Telegraph, a man who's a podcaster, football writer, but not a footballer. It's JJ Bill. Hello. (laughs) Sorry, JJ. It's all right. We also welcome back a European football journalist who's yet to play a single minute of European football. It's Kieran Cannon. Never too late. Before we start, have you got any change on you? Uh, no, actually, no. Yes, we're going to go there. Unfortunately, I have to start with the Edinburgh Derby last week. Obviously, Bobby's Lamau, the goalkeeper for Hearts, punched in the face. Uh, Neil Lennon hit by a coin. Guys, give us your worst. <laughs> it's mental. <laughs> uh, it's a real, it's a real problem, and I. It, there's so much to it. I don't know how you um, we can discuss it in the short time that we need to talk about it. Yeah. I think Neil Lennon winding up with the fans is winding up is really funny, and him going way when the goal is disallowed is very funny. There are people who said that he's he's bringing it on himself. You never bring someone assaulting you on mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. It's a, a weird world that he lives in here because Lennon that seems like he's living in the the football world, which is not real, and that's where you do things where you can wind up people, and you're sort of safe in this environment where it belongs within the confines and the walls of football. But people watching it, some of them haven't quite bought into this and they live in what they think is the real world and then they see this act of aggression and have to release that anger and hurl coins at him. Mm. There's a thing on that as well with this whole this nonsense of, you know, he doesn't help himself or he brings it on himself, which I think is important to point out people that don't follow it so much in Scotland. That has been an opinion spoused by Quite a lot of people even have been given the platform to do so. I mean, yeah, you know, like yeah. Gary Caldwell, who's on, on the radio directly after it happened, yep. uh, who played with Lennon at Celtic and the former Hibs player, came out with that opinion. And the whole telling the fat Hearts fans to calm down after the, the disallowed goal in stoppage time, that's in reaction to all the abuse he's been getting throughout the whole of the game, not even including the coins. The coins thing we see and it gets criticised as it should do and... You know, the police are investigating and hopefully people that threw the coins get, get caught. But I think we too often overlook the abuse that managers in general, but particularly Lennon and particularly at Tynecastle, are getting throughout the course of the game and nothing seems to be done to oh, crack yeah. down on that either. But you see it um, bleed out of football games as well. So it becomes um, everyone's trying to like catch someone else. So they slag them off all game long and then someone gives them a bit back and they go, oh, look what he's done, look what he's done, get him, get him. If, 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 you're, nice. if you're prepared to dish it out, you should be able to, to receive some yourself. Yeah, I mean, at, that, at a base level, yeah, absolutely. You should be able to have this battle and, and enjoy the kind of rivalry because there's some real historic rivalry in, in Scottish football. Mm-hmm. But when it bleeds into that, actually throwing someone, and it's almost like they break the fourth wall by throwing it because then it hits the person that they see in front of them and it's and there's a real person they've hit it's but, weird but, I mean, we've already sort of joked about it at the start of the podcast but I mean what Boyd did in front of the Aberdeen fans yesterday is also giving back for all the stick that he's got from it's that time it's funny exactly funny, right yeah. 
And no one's saying, no one's saying that if you know, if an Aberdeen fan had thrown a coin at him, that oh well, he'd have brought it on himself. It's what, absolutely what, nonsense. What, what, what was kind of funny was that um, I don't know if anybody really saw it, but um, the cameras caught a set of keys in Bob Lismore's <laughs> net, so somebody couldn't drive home <laughs> after the game. Now that's that's justice in some well, kind of strange way. And, and the thing, right? So and people are trying to work out how you stop it and whether yeah. it's whether yeah. you um, you dock points from clubs. It's not going to affect the people doing it. With football, especially, it is so important to some humans that it becomes part of their identity. So if someone insults their football club, it feels like an insult upon them. If someone's seen Lennon do that, they're so angry because it feels like an attack on them. So they're defending their territory. To, to get it out of the way as well, obviously, following. Wednesday night at the weekend, Alfredo Morelos was hit with a coin. Craig Sampson had coins all in his goal mouth he from had Rangers. Heaps, about five. Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. And, and you know, we we look for an answer to kind of stamp this out. And one thing that we spoke about last week, which I don't know, maybe it is a bad idea to bring booze back into the grounds. But me and JJ and Laura, who was on the show last week from Copa 90, we were all in kind of agreement that, listen, we shouldn't be punished for something which happened in the 1980s and time has moved on and we should be allowed to enjoy a day out at these football grounds. But if we do include booze, and I am actually still for it, I I think there are more normal people in grounds than there are bad ones. But Kieran, what's what's your take? I, I agree with um, the points you, you guys made last week. And generally, what I would say about the alcohol situation is that you could still introduce it and not allow it for certain flashpoint games like Derby games, so a Celtic Rangers game or a Hibs Hearts game, yeah. or games we think that are going to be high risk and still allow it for your run-of-the-mill. And the person who or the, or the body who decides it's high risk is the police. It'd be a pretty easy way to do it, so it seems fair. I mean... The best way to fix it is if people were just stopping fannies and throwing coins and... Is there more on- honest on the fans themselves to police it themselves? But then is that, like, is like, that not the easiest kind of answer like of it all? it's like at school, right? So at school you get in trouble if you do something wrong and then some folk just, then they go into the real world still act like they're at school. So then they go into football ground and they're like, oh, I can, I can, the teacher's not looking so I'll throw a coin. You get folk who go to prison because they do stupid stuff. Like, mm-hmm. It's weird. <laughs> I got into real existential stuff here but it's odd that you have to have jails to put people away from society because don't belong because they're doing bad things so then you've got people in football grounds like booze or not you don't throw coins at another person you don't run on the pitch and try and assault someone i don't have time life is so short why are why are folk being such idiots it's a disgrace it's shocking those people should be caught if you know who they are shop them Let's kick off our roundup of the weekend at Easter Road with the form team in the Premiership. And it's not Hibs, it's St Johnston. Hibs suffered their first league defeat at Easter Road for almost a year as Saints skipper Joe Shaughnessy popped up in the 90th minute to make it four wins in a row for Tommy Wright's men. Ed Hodge, the author of Our Day in May, joins us now. Ed, St Johnston move above Hibs and Livingston into the top five. It's a tremendous turnaround. Yeah, I can't quite believe the surprise in your voice there. You know, as if it's uh, as if it's unexpected. No, seriously, it's uh, I guess that was an unexpected one at the weekend. But yeah. but really, you know, the form of Sir Johnston over the last decade really means we probably shouldn't be surprised at these results. Uh, so yeah, they're they're playing great again back at the top six, and 
four clean sheets, four wins in a row. And I, I was just reading today that you know Xander Clark's got a chance to to break the top flight record uh, at club level mm-hmm. for clean sheets if he gets a clean sheet against Hamilton this Saturday. So the they're not just scoring goals, but they're keeping them out as well. What's been the key to that? How's the uh, Tommy Wright changed it around? I noticed that against Hibbs they kind of started with that four four two, but it changed to a diamond, matching them up a wee bit. Has he been shifting things around in recent games? He has been actually. It's um, it's been all changed in the last eighteen months. Uh, given we had the core of the side that that won the cup, as you touched on at the start there, mm. um, and really he's had to mould uh, effectively what's becoming a, a completely new team. Uh, he's changing things defensively. We use sometimes we have a flat back four. Um, occasionally at Livingston last midweek he went with three across the the back line. And I think what what we're finding now is he's the, the chopping and changing seems to be working really well. And that as well as being resolute, we've we've now got this added dimension of the of the wingers with Kennedy on one side and and right on the other to to really. Create, create opportunities and when you've got strikers like Tony Watt who had a great start to the season and you know David McMillan and Chris Kane can't really get a game at the moment it shows you the the, the depth of the squad particularly in midfield as well so uh, no it's all good at the moment You said Tommy obviously took the, the club to the, the Scottish Cup in, in 2014 um, and he's done an incredible job with it over the past few years but I think his contract's up at the end of the season how important is it that St Johnson hold on to him and he doesn't get uh, snatched away by another club yeah absolutely I'd, I'd like to think um, the club are in discussions because it'd be, it'd be great to hold on to them but this is without doubt the you know the probably greatest period in the club's history as I said that's a, this is our 10th season back in the, the top flight which has been full of uh, achievement top 6 runs European runs obviously the cup in 2014 uh, it, it's quite astonishing really you know having grown up and supported the club since 1989 and, and going through the trials and tribulations it, it's quite a bizarre feeling most Saturdays now because you, you almost expect us to get a result mm. uh, and that's complete credit to the, the management team and you know it shouldn't be forgotten that Tommy lost Callum Davidson in the summer as well mm. who was you know a really reliable sidekick and he simply promoted with, within and moved up Alex Cleland and Alan Mabry's looking after the youth side of things as well so the, the progression that the it kind of works, you know. I'm just thinking of um, examples. I guess it's a bit like Ryder Cup, but the, the, the Europeans, you know, it's, it's almost this: once somebody leaves, another person moves on. And Saints seem to have a bit of that as well. It's this this chain of command seems to work well either on the pitch or off it, and it's the consistency and continuity that is definitely helping the club have success. The way we're going at the moment with the confidence, then then who's to say we're not capable of of, hang, of hanging in there again? Is that is that confidence starting to reflect and fans turning up to the ground? Because I think we spoke about it last week against St Mirren. It wasn't a huge attendance. Well, I go when I can. Um, as you say, with my son and my, my daughter, it's £16 behind the goal for an adult and two children, which I think is just a, a fabulous offer. So yeah. the club yeah. are doing everything they can to get to get more people into McDermott Park, you know, the... The kids can play like games and table football as well now, and there's there's all kinds of you know activities going on um, at the game on a Saturday. So there's no doubt they're doing all they can, and I, I certainly think the club deserve more backing given the success we've had. But I guess when you look at other teams as well and the kind of average attendances, it's it's just not it's not as easy as it sounds. There's mm. there's so much more 
activities that you can do at the weekends and perhaps maybe 10, 15 years ago. But the, the club are doing everything they can and yeah, it'd be great to see uh, to see more coming along to, to see this team because I think in the past we've maybe been um, fairly resolute and kept things tight at the back and maybe tried to pinch goals on the break. But this team seems to have a kind of new a new attacking verve about it that, that you would think could put bums on seats if the, if the form continues. Hibs were pretty poor. Gary Parker, the assistant, said it was probably the worst performance since he and Neil Lennon had been at the club. Yeah, it's weird off the back of the um, coin gate mm. as well. I mean, they, they created chances. This has been a lot of the problem with Hibs is that they create chances they don't really take them. And um, some of their goals have been um, Stevie Mallon pingers, which I like. See, Johnson played really well and they defended very well. They're very compact, very hard to break down. And um, if you're playing against a team like that and you can't create the chances to score and there are not people there to take the chances, then you just end up drawing or losing. I mean, there's, well, there's two aspects to the, the fallout from the Hearts game, obviously. I, mean, I wonder if there was a slight sense of they took their eye off the ball. I mean, even like on the, the Friday press conference before the game, mm-hmm. all the talk was Lennon reflecting on, on yeah. what happened um, previ- like a couple of days previously. And then also the fact that Canberry was suspended. Yeah, exactly. Who has been their, their best strikers far this, this season. McLaren, who did really well in this... January to the end of the season last season mm-hmm. hasn't seemed to reach the same level of form. Yeah, I think we um, saw eight, eight goals back, in 15, yeah. 15 games last season. Um, he missed a couple of chances. But yeah, I mean, I, I think with all these sides in the sort of top half of the table, we look at what Kamarnock have done and Hibs and Hearts. They've done so well at the start of the season. I think expectations have maybe been raised a bit too high and they're going to have an off day like, like Hibs did Saturday. And St. Johnson, I thought they would sit deep the whole game, but they actually came and uh, took a lot of the play to Hibs yeah. from the kickoff. Well, that, that's that's been a, sort of a story of St. Johnson's season so far. Like Ed was talking on it, like the past few years when they have done well, they have been resolute hard team to beat. Yeah. Um, and even I mean, what makes the turnaround so um, impressive is that the last game they lost was that six 0 against Celtic, and after that, Tommy Wright said that. You know, it was up to the players that if, if they weren't going to put in the work ethic that he needs of them to play their style of football, then they would go back to the, the old way and, mm-hmm. and play a bit longer, be a bit more direct. The way they've, they've changed the squad around, it's much younger, they've got more attacking flair players. And yeah, it's, it's good to see that another team in the, in the league, and there's quite a few now, that have that style of play and want to play that way. You're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. It's Alton It's a sensational finish. McGregor's corner kick and make that 2 0. In from Tierney, there's Edouard and there's 3 0. It's James Forrest and it's 4 0. It's Ryan Christie. The top two met at Celtic Park on Saturday. Hearts have led since day one of the Premiership campaign. Celtic haven't topped the table all season, but it might only be a matter of time. Celtic 5, Hearts 0. A bad end to a difficult week for Hearts. In terms of the Hearts team that beat Celtic back in August, only four of those players were in the starting lineup on Saturday, which shows how much injuries have taken their toll this season. Craig Levine says he got it wrong, guys. I think he genuinely got it a little bit wrong. He got, it, he got it very wrong. Well, well if he's saying it, then... There's, a stra- there's two strategies, right? You can either sit back and uh, stay compact and hope Celtic don't score and hit him on the counter, and that's what he says he wanted to do. Um, and then if Celtic turn up like they did, you're eventually going to concede. It's inevitable. Is there an element that, that he's 
protecting his players. But I, I think he was almost protecting. I mean, I know you were saying what, if the, with his comments after the game as he's trying to protect his players. Mm-hmm. But I think he was so worried and trying to protect his players before the game, which is why he set up that passive. Because what we're saying, like the injury crisis that they've had, Hearts' good results against Celtic are almost always at Tynecastle, where it's a much tighter pitch. It's much easier to play the type of way that he said that he wanted them to play in the second half and that they normally do against Celtic, which is to, to press high and put them under pressure. We saw that Murrayfield on a bigger pitch just the week before, that they couldn't do that, they couldn't last that for 90 minutes. Yeah. Then they had, particularly we thought we have just been talking about you know the, the sort of emotional energy of going through that game against against Hibs with the shorter squad that they now have because of the injuries. So then to go to Celtic Park again, again the big pitch, I, thought, I think he thought, we're not going to be able to do this, we're not going to be able to press high successfully for 90 minutes, so we'll try and conserve energy and sit back it makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Like I, I totally understand the strategy, and that's like, some managers go for it and they lose seven nil. Some managers sit back and they win one nil. It just you have to go with the strategy and he went with it, and that was his. And I mean, he Levine said he was much happier with the second half performance, but yeah. even in the second half, Celtic won two nil and could have scored more. But I mean, to, to a man, they are just better players, yeah, exactly. and and, it's, and now they are really um, kind of scary to watch. Like they're zipping passes around and they look confident. Twenty goals in the last four, and in their opening seven games, they only. Scored Scored seven. I mean, that's that shows the dramatic change in in the Champions. But I think there's particularly from the six 0 against St Johnson on. Even it was maybe coming back a little bit. The game they won at St Johnson in the League Cup for the one one 0 but should have won by a lot more in terms of the chances they had. Then they beat Aberdeen, so it was coming back slowly. And then since that St Johnson game, the other thing that's happened since that St Johnson game, which I think is quite significant, so. Early in the season, particularly the Kilmarnock game, uh, St Mirren game, where they, they dropped points, Celtic had loads of the ball, but it was all very slow, very laboured, always allowed the opposition to get back in behind the ball. Two, and, three, four touch uh, kind of stuff, yeah. But now, since Brown's gone out of the team through injury, and McGregor's become the deepest line midfield player, everything moves a lot quicker. His first pass is is almost always forward rather than sideways or back to the centre-backs. Yep. They've also got more attacking players in the team because of where McGregor's come back and playing a bit deeper. Christie's gone into his position the past few games. Rogic is starting to play very well. The movement is much better. Edward had injury and wasn't great when he first came back, but now seems to be you know getting up to to speeds and I think he scored eleven goals in all competitions now. So everything seems a lot rosier than it did a couple of weeks ago. What will be interesting is obviously they've got uh, Leipzig on Thursday and mm-hmm. whilst the domestic form has got a lot better, they still haven't shown that in Europe. One thing we saw from this game and off the back of the uh, Hibs game as well is that you see the real difference between um, like just money between Celtic and Hearts, right? So they've lost four big players to injury. Yeah. Um, I'm talking Naismith, Piazu, um, Suter and, Suter and Berra. Berra. And so missing those four means that they are nowhere near as strong and mm. the strength and depth in the bench has come on that's not really there I don't know how they're going to hold on to fast they're they're still playing well and they'll still beat teams but they have to approach games differently because they can't play them in the same way and the problem that they've got is coming up like already some managers are starting to complain about this but there's like a hell of a lot of fixtures in December, in December for yeah. everyone and Defend getting because of the break I think there's yeah. nine games in December yeah. isn't there so Good. getting getting through that period and I know they might get some players back but it's unlikely they'll have I mean Naismith six to eight weeks we might be back yeah. just towards the end of it so what what is success for Hearts now their dream of the title is it hanging on a knife edge at the moment well Celtic's looking scary 
I would really like to see Hearts push them for the title in the same way that Aberdeen have in recent seasons. Maybe Rangers come back into it. I don't know. But, uh, I mean, Hearts should be looking for second or third. Yeah. Yeah, my, my thing would be try and survive as well as possible until January and sort of damage limitation until then. And then once they get players back, yeah. they can sort of reassess and strengthen possibly more in January as well. Uh, the Levine's opens. been an excellent, like, bant all season long. So if he just does a few <laughs> more of his wee mind games, who knows what happens to be Rogers? Like, he can go He's mad. going to be too busy writing those lines. <laughs> he's, he's giving himself 100 lines to He's giving himself and a even bunny. even if they don't make the top six, <laughs> at least they've got Levine's banter. So, you know, yeah. everyone's a winner. Yeah, think how many jokes he can write in, like, in 100 lines. For the second week in a row, it was smashing grab from Aberdeen. They came back from a goal down to win 2-1 at Rugby Park. It was a result that looked very unlikely for the first hour. The Dons only had two shots in the whole game and they scored them both. <laughs> JJ, do you criticise Aberdeen for playing so badly? Or commend Derek McInnes for changing the game? He's never lost at Rugby Park as Aberdeen manager in the league. Well, that's good. I'll tell you what wasn't good. <laughs> the first half in that game, the, I mean, there are hostage negotiation videos that are easier to watch <laughs> than the first half of that. And I, w- I went through it a wee bit on Twitter while well, it was happening. Can, can I say, as someone who was, who was watching both the game and JJ's Twitter, JJ's Twitter was far more entertaining <laughs> as he had a, bit, a mental breakdown at what was that he happens seeing. often. Well, the thing is, so I really rate, I'll, I'll preface this by saying I really rate Derek McInnes. I think he's done, you know, the blah, blah, blah. He's great. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. However, that first half, so Kelly played with, with 4-4-2. Well, 4-5-1 actually, because they had Boyd as the centre uh, target so they could um, hit in the counter down the wings with Jones and then get the ball into him to score. And Aberdeen had a 4-2-3-1. They played Dom Ball and Graham Shinney in the two holding roles. Uh, Dom Ball is meant to be a six drop between the centre-backs and you had Lewis Ferguson trying to get close to James Wilson up front. Now, all that happened was that Devlin and McKenna got the ball. They're supposed to have split and they would look up and they would punt it miles. Killy put a front four as a block in front of them so they had to hit it over the top. No one showed to receive the ball. No one from midfield dropped in to receive it. So there was no passing channels. There was no way to link the play. Everything was long. You have James Wilson, who's not a huge lad up front trying to win the ball. You've got GMS and, and McGinn again. Small lads. They're not going to win headers against Killy. You've got Broadfoot, who was immense throughout. Heron, well, he was good. I Kieran's looked at me funny. But he was decent. The one time he made a mistake was when McGinn got the ball into the box for Anderson to score. Yeah. But, and, and the free kick for the winning goal as well. Ah, yeah. well, it's, you know... It's basically, it's for two goals. Well, <laughs> yeah, there's more to it than that. And, but it's really shocking. And this is what we've been talking about Aberdeen every single week, is that the... The shape's been weird. 4-2-4 for a lot of the season and now he's gone back to 4-2-3-1. But in regards to the shape, the players aren't moving into positions to receive the ball. And McKinnis said after the game, if he'd been scouting that game, he wouldn't have a clue what they were about. Nothing made sense. There's no way he put any of that out. I do wonder, I mean, Ferguson scored the winner again. Um, decent free kick, although possibly the goalkeeper should have done better. But it's been Definitely. very obvious in the past few weeks, I felt, how much McKinnis has been praising Ferguson, mm-hmm. yeah, and not just in his play, but in his his attitude, and is that actually a bit of a dig at other players? That yeah, aren't, yeah. Aren't is, he, is he using him as the yeah. benchmark to say that's the level of performance? He's yeah, yeah. I mean, he even said yesterday that he, he, did, he told yeah. him at halftime that you know there's an 18 year old who is the only one that's putting in a shift basically, and I think that and that and that speaks volumes that even he um, doesn't really know what's going on to be honest. <laughs> but the, the only positive I could see for Aberdeen out that game was another youngster and Anderson coming off the bench and scoring and Aberdeen had been needing a goal scoring striker for a long time well I mean it's, 
you, have, you put a striker on the pitch, right? And it, 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 they can do so much. You need to have the ball coming into them. You need to create chances in a certain way. And uh, the change at half time was to take Don Ball off. Don Ball is rotten. He's good at winning the ball back, right? So this this is the thing, right? So when I say rotten, I don't. Want, he's not an awful human. He's not a, a, a abysmal footballer. His core is not wearing away. No, but <laughs> <laughs> mine was watching the performance. But he, the way he plays, uh, and it's very specific. So if you're playing as a six, you have to either drop between the centre backs to, to give them. An, you have to create little triangles, little pyramids, so that you can have passing options to keep the ball circulating he doesn't do it he doesn't know how to do it it seems like and he's not been coached or he just forgets when he goes on the pitch now ball came off and they put Stevie May on and moved James Wilson to a 10 and Wilson is normally a 9 and he plays off the shoulder he's a poacher basically when he's been at Man United and other clubs um, and when he's played in Championship in England he's been a poacher now Wilson at 10 is good because his movement is great and uh, he knows how to link the play. He ran so much in that first half, chasing nothing. <laughs> I've seen uh, people slagging him off, saying he was a donkey, and he took one shot and went out for a throw-in. He couldn't get it on the ball. So like he must have been wound up. He knew he was coming off. He must have been told he's coming off at 70 minutes. Um, but that change meant that uh, Ferguson dropped from a 10 into the kind of sixth position. He knows where to be. He was linking the play. He was drawing players with him. Everything changed. And also because Stevie May was running the channels. Steve Clark was really annoyed as well because Aberdeen didn't create anything. Kilmarnock were the better team, by far. Kelly will be gutted because they've been doing so well and that feels like a bit of a robbery on their part, I'd have thought. They were missing a few key players as well, though. Eamon Brophy was out. Yeah, Stuart, uh, was, injured. There, yeah. Stuart was suspended. So Chris Boyd comes in and scores a goal. <laughs> His first start. I since... love the celebration. It's so funny. It's good, isn't it? It's yeah. good. That's that's the that's the kind of emotion we want to see in the game, isn't it? And we just found it earlier. I can't believe he's only thirty-five. Mm. I was convinced he's like thirty-eight, thirty-nine. Why is Shay Logan just deliberately giving away penalties nowadays? He's not. You, you know, it's not deliberate. It's a weird one. <laughs> so, like, we'll cover it quickly. Right, it's a penalty. I think the ball's come out. Burke's chasing it. Uh, Logan comes across. He sort of half pulls out a bit, half leaves his leg in. It's not. It's it's kind of innocuous. The ball's not going anywhere dangerous anyway. He's going away from goal, but he still fouls him, and I can see exactly why it's a. And there was penalty. another one a couple of weeks ago. Wasn't it? Answer to your question is that even he wanted to see Chris Boyd's celebration. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Mid and left heart broken. And Alfredo Morelos can kill it off here, and he does. Brilliant goal. It was a game effort from the hosts at St Mirren Park, but the Buddies were eventually beaten 2-0 by Rangers after two goals in the last 10 minutes. It's now seven defeats in a row for St Mirren, and Oren Kearney said last week that there's nothing he can say to restore the players' confidence, only a win could do that. Will this performance do anything for their confidence, guys? Because, uh, honestly, they, they, they played a lot better, he was, he was much happier, but it's hard times. And this game was amazing. I I loved almost every minute of this game. For the wind and rain, that was that was the best bit. It was so much fun to watch. <laughs> St Mirren hanging on. They got had really good chances to score. Like they hit a side net in quite early on, um, and then it was very very funny just watching Rangers throw everything at it. And they're like, I don't know. Yeah, Ryan Edwards hit the like, side net. Yeah. yeah, he had that, a great that, game. That Rangers it's chance like when, half, when, anyway. when about twenty minutes to go, the one where there's about three clearances off the line and. Four seconds. Yeah. That was the yeah. point where you think pinball. Is this not going to happen for them? It's like when uh, when Homer's a boxer and he's just getting punched in the face over and over again. Yeah, Ian you can't knock him down. Ian McShane's free kick as well. McGregor was really, really pushed in that first half. Yeah, yeah. Like, but they. Um, I mean, it's the strategy is sit deep and then hit him on the counter. We've been through this before, but they were kind of ruined. I think 
by Alan Stubbs' summer recruitment. I'm sure he's not, you know, he's. I'm sure he's okay as a manager, really. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, the way he split them up and t- put players in who weren't of the standard that they need to have and then the style of play is so different to what Jack Ross had them doing and they're missing half that team anyway they all went missing Malin and Morgan they're getting relegated <laughs> well <laughs> apart from the fact I mean, possibly Dundee will save them yeah, yeah. Um, but them and Dundee are so much worse than everyone else yeah. I'll give you I'll give you a bit of a positive um, which I spotted at the weekend for St Mirren this um, 17 year old Ethan Erhahon, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm really sorry, Ethan. Um, he's only 17. And he played left back, but he's been playing for the under 20s uh, for Scotland, and he's looking. Hey, listen, if he's getting first starts for St Mirren, he's pretty pretty tidy little player, I think. Lewis Morgan also said, who, who signed from Celtic in the summer, that he's the next best thing for St Mirren. So something for St Mirren. Fans I mean, that's really pulling, <laughs> pulling on uh, hopeful things. But yeah, I mean, he's a. Uh, I mean, we'll refer to my old friend football manager. His decisions are meant to be quite good. <laughs> He's got a nice first touch. Rangers, that Morelos finish is absolutely brilliant at the bottom corner. Yeah, that was the type of finish from a confident player, I think. I'd say, I've, I think I said on the podcast before, I could have got Morelos wrong last season. And this, I think he's a lot better than I, oh, than yeah. I thought he was. And not just good. not just because of his, his finishing, which again, I mean, he does. He is uh, liable to miss the odd sitter. But just his, his general play seems to be a lot better this season. Mm-hmm. He's moving off the ball, the way he drags defenders out of position. And you saw how badly Rangers missed him in the, the Aberdeen game. Oh, yeah, not having that, striker, yeah. Not having that focal point. <laughs> shall, shall we move on to the weekly weekly Willie Colm gate? Oh, God. Yeah, so Dan, Daniel Candias, <laughs> uh, he, he gave Rangers the lead, but his uh, celebrations got him his first yellow. And then, just after the Morelos goal, I think um, Anton Ferdinand was getting some kisses blown at him from Candias. And then Anton put his arm around him, and it looked all kind of friendly. Bit of a laugh. It looked friendly from Candace's point of view. Ferdinand seemed to be the aggressor. Yeah. And yet, uh, Candace was the one that got the second yellow card and was sent off. It's a, it's a, it's a nonsense, and it's one of Willie Collum's most special decisions. I think it's a sh- an absolute shocker that he's booked him for for nothing. So Candace goes across, or as the commentator on BBC, uh, I've seen the highlights of this as well. When he scores, he goes Candace. <laughs> 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 in trouble here though. I think Morella scores, like you said, and he runs runs across them. And then uh, the goalkeeper, Samson, Craig Samson, Craig Samson comes over. and um, He thought it was disrespectful. Well, maybe. This is, I think this is what the boys in the sports team were saying. But it, it looked very much like he was saying, uh, like, be respectful to us. You're, you're, mm-hmm. You've won, basically. Mm-hmm. You've won, so give it a rest. And then as Anton Fernand comes across and is just putting his arm into his forearm, into his chin, he's been aggressive, got the hold of his grip of his shoulder properly as well. That's aggressive. Candias uh, just takes it and goes away. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of gamesmanship, a bit of a battle going on. It's, it, he's done absolutely nothing. Colin books him, so they can't even, they can't even throw it out. They can't feel it he doesn't. He's not seen it. it. He's not right. seen it, or he's wrong. But it's, it's also awful. I mean, a lot of referees do this, but Colin especially. It's just that uh, something's happened. Yellow card for each of them. How is he yeah, get? How is he an elite referee? How is he getting international games? Uh, Every game he does something. I can't. I can't disagree with you. I don't know. Every how... game he does something mental, uh, uh, and you tell people what he's refereeing another game, and you say, "Watch out, because something." Stupid will happen, and it does, uh, even when it's not Scottish football. I've told friends every game he's refereeing bet for this to be a penalty or a red card because it's I, an absolute guarantee. Always something. I don't think he means to be. I don't think he means it. He just he's doing his best, but his I'll best t- is good. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Maybe this is a good idea. I'll just um, pressure producer Charlie here to uh, to get on Willie on the on the podcast. Yeah. I would love to talk to him because then he'd explain it, and I'd know what he's thinking. I think thinking. it'd be quite interesting to get an elite referee's point of view. 
Billy Collins' point of view. Uh, I'd also like his, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the, of course, the real star apart from Willie Collins in this game is that wee lad topless in the, uh, in, the, in the stand with a scarf on his own. What, like, like the like... typical Newcastle fan that's yeah, always yeah. naked and it's like belly out. Maybe, maybe given the, the colours are exactly the same, it was just a lost <laughs> Newcastle fan. <laughs> the thing I like most about it, right? Yeah, exactly. That makes so much sense. <laughs> the thing I like most about it is that it's just this young lad, maybe at 12 or something like that, and he's got his shirt off and he's got a scarf on as well, it's on his own in the stand supporting the teams. Be like, you wonder where these, you know the big Newcastle, big fat Newcastle fans with their shirts off, you wonder where they come from, like you don't, like Newcastle, I, I know a guy. I, I know a guy called Beefer, right? That's a but good name for somebody who you, takes their top off. You don't call a baby Beefer. So, like, like, where do these people come from? That's where they come from. Let's go around the grounds now. It's Urman Neil White with a roundup of the headlines in the Championship, League One and Two. After midweek fixtures as well as Saturday's card, there's been a fair bit of movement. In the championship, let's start at the top. Two where Air United return their 1-0 win at Falkirk was their third victory in a row. That puts last season's League One champions three clear of Ross County after the Dingwall Club drew twice in a week. On Saturday, a classic Highland Derby finished 2-2. That result gives Inverness Cali Thistle a club record 23 game unbeaten streak in the league going back to last season. But they're now in fifth. Nine draws in 12 league games will do that. Third are Dundee United, a team transformed since Robbie Nielsen replaced Shabba Laszlo as manager. Laszlo's legacy at Tanadice isn't all bad though. He brought striker Pavel Safranco, who has scored in three of Nielsen's four games, including the first in their 2-0 win against Queen of the South. Morton are in the final playoff place. Their game with Partick Thistle was halted after floodlight bulbs popped and the players removed glass from the pitch. Either side of that, Morton were <clears throat> dazzling in a 5-1 win. Alloa lost 1-0 at Haunted and Firmlin. That means each of the bottom three clubs lost again. Our both remain unbeaten and seven points clear in League One. Michael McKenna's goal was enough to put away East Fife. Kevin Nisbet got both for second place Wraith Rovers in a 2-1 win over Brecon. Seven in five for Nisbet, 17 for the season for the 21-year-old striker released by Partick in the summer. The real action, however, is at the bottom of League One, where four points cover six teams. This weekend's game of musical chairs saw Montrose go from bottom to sixth with a 1-0 win over Dumbarton, who take their place at the foot of the table. League Two, Edinburgh City lost for the first time since the 11th of August, 1-0, to a goal by John Rankin of Clyde. And that was all the daylight Peter Head needed. They won 2-1 against bottom side Albion Rovers to go top by a point. Five goals in three games for 37-year-old Derek Lyle, who got both in that game. Finally, Berwick Rangers were down to the bare bones. They started one trialist and named another on the bench as they went down 3-0 at Sterling. That's a win in game one for new Sterling manager, Kevin Rukovich, and end your report this week. As we enter November, there is only one side in Scottish League football that is still unbeaten, and that's our Broth. The Red Lichties are seven points clear at the top of League One, and we're joined now by our Broth winger, Danny Denham. 
Danny, another victory at the weekend, 1-0 over East Fife. How was the performance? Um, yeah, it was, it was OK. I mean, we kind of ground out the, the wind up at Gayfield, something else, so we had to sort of battle with that, but we, we managed to sneak over the line, 1-0, and keep the momentum running, so I'm pretty happy at the moment. one nil's nothing, is it not? Our bros once won 36 <laughs> well, uh, Apparently so. It was a long time before <laughs> I was there, though. <laughs> Dick Campbell's in charge. He's got five promotions, knows what it's all about. Is he, uh, is he the man to... Uh, Take to the title. I hope so. I mean, I've 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 been with uh, Dick for a while. I've played with him at Forth and Arbroath, and uh, he's not changed very much. He's still the same same way. But um, we hope we can get there. We hope we. But at the start of the season, we were thinking top four. Um, but the way it's panned out, we're we're, we're doing doing fairly well. So yeah, I think we've changed our changed our objectives. Dick's quite a character. He's uh, it's been around the block plenty of times. He's already achieved five promotions. So. What's, what's his secret? You say you've been with him for quite a while. I think it, what he does is he builds a squad of players with few bad eggs in them, hardly any bad eggs, and um, guys that can not manage themselves but can conduct themselves without too much leadership. And uh, just he's got a great man manager. He makes you even when you're not playing. I've not played an awful lot this year. I've never I've never felt like um, my head head's been down at all. And sometimes in the past when that's been the case, I've. I feel wronged and I feel like I have to chat in the manager's door but it's not been the case under, under Dick Danny have you, have you seen your football manager stats for this season what do you think of them my football manager stats yeah <laughs> I haven't seen them no but if, uh, I'm sure they wouldn't be the best you've got pace 14 it's alright oh, that's not bad at all they reckon you're heading they reckon you're heading two that's harsh. <laughs> <laughs> Tackling one, I could deal with that in bravery one, but I mean, heading, you know, I would, I would expect at least an eight. You're actually not far off with those. <laughs> Tell us a couple of the characters that are in our both side at the moment. Who's who's the joker? Who's the serious one? We've got a real mix um, of characters. I think the experienced someone, obviously, Rab Douglas is there, and um, mm. I like winding Rab up. Just because he's, just, he's quite angry and he'll hit me, but and I can run away from him. But uh, that's, that's my hobby at training. And then there's Bobby Lynn is uh, an absolute character. He's he's always a, a positive bundle of energy. Tam O'Brien's another one who's just he's just 27. He's got a child, a family, but you'd think he's 14. Absolute uh, <laughs> absolute kid. But um, yeah, I think I think it's just everybody sort of chips in. There's no real standout, and I think. Um, Apparently on the radio, one of the boys was saying, "I'm the funny one, but I'm, I'm not having that. I'm just—I <laughs> think I've got the dry sense of humour." A lot of you are part-time. You're a teacher yourself as well, aren't you? Not all of us, but the majority of us have been part-time for some time. And mm-hmm. um, the long—the long drives, um, they—they they go quicker as as you grow older because you're used to them. And um, it's hard. It's all about organising your time, and you know you've got to be training here. You know you've got to be eating right at a certain time. And it's all just about time management and although people say football players aren't the brightest they have to be organised this, mm. this this level otherwise they won't last long Well speaking of that I mean you're also a blogger and just wrote recently about the psychology of uh, lower league football I don't know if you can talk mm. about that a bit that's interesting Basically you just have to be in the, in the right right place the right frame of mind and you have to be able to, to motivate yourself really rather than having a manager or someone else bailing you out it's Although it's a team game, it's quite an individual. At part-time level, you have to be quite individual at times and look after yourself. So you've read that book. Um, there was a guy called Paul McVeigh, who played for Norwich. He wrote a book called "The Stupid Footballer Is Dead." Is that the kind of thing that you're along the lines of, like visualization and self-motivation, that kind of bit? 
see, for me, I'm quite, I'm quite open to it. Uh, I did sports studies at uni and psychology. I'm open to it. Some of it, I take my pinch of salt. Some of it thinks a bit of nonsense. But if it doesn't work for me, it might work for someone else. But it gets in football, I mean, the psychology gets a sort of bad rap from people because they just think, why are we, are we doing this when we could be doing this instead? Time is off the essence and we're, we're wasting it talking about uh, visualising stuff. But, I mean, I, I think it's an important one. Not an overly important part, but I think it can really help. It can really help your mental state before a game. If 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 you if, if it works for you, then then why not go for it? And I think with some footballers, I've got a sort of turned up nose approach to it and a bit old school approach to it. But uh, the game's changing, so they probably need to change as well. I broke before I was there as a psychologist, and a lot of the boys didn't really embrace it. But there was some that did, and that are still around. And I see it in the changing before a guy called Colin Hamill, and he's got his, his routine which he does. So, towel over the head and he thinks about three points I don't know what they're called Con- one, one's confidence one's something else and he, it's like a mantra I think and he, he repeats it and fair play to him because you can get a fair play, bit of ribbon in the changing room for stuff like that so no I, I'm, I'm fully on board with that Danny you've just started your own podcast as well uh, called Lower League Ramblings um, what can we hear on that? So it's similar to the blogs I'm sort of talking about some of the stuff I've written about but I'm, I'm getting my, a guest on every weekend I've got my co-host who's uh, Thicker than Plank of Wood, probably. He's not the brightest in the world, but he gives it that authenticity and he loves talking about football. So we just go through the issues and he probably pulls me up on stuff that I thought was the gospel and he, he says, No, you're wrong and stuff. And we just, do you know what it is? It's quite casual, it's quite relaxed, and we just, it's just three guys kind of kind of just having a chat about about the, the, the game from the inside, really, from the part in the game, because there's not a whole lot of coverage on um, yeah. on sort of all the football. So we thought we'd. We'd be trying to tap into that, and to be fair, we've had a quite a good reaction so far. So, just if any listeners out there uh, uh, want another podcast, listen to apart from yours, yours of course. Uh, <laughs> Lower League Ramblings, and it's at LL Ramblings on Twitter. So, give us a follow and uh, check it out. And worst comes to worst, it's a good bedtime listen. I'll put you to sleep. You're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. Elsewhere in the Premiership, Motherwell won Dundee nil. The answer to Motherwell's problems could well be 19-year-old David Turnbull, called up to the under-20s just today. He scored in the victory at St Mirren in midweek and scored a sensational winner at Fur Park against Dundee. Stephen Cregan, who we spoke to on this podcast, manages Turnbull in the youth team and he says he will be leaving the club for big money when he goes. Excellent inclusion, isn't he? It's his nickname. Uh, excellent inclusion. The excellent inclusion, yeah. <laughs> it was a great goal, wasn't it, lads? The best thing about it is he puts his foot solidly. So if you've not seen the goal, he punts it from about maybe 25 yards. Uh, Dundee gave him far too much space between defence and midfield for him to move into. And then he puts his foot through it, but it doesn't spin. And then you know you've hit the ball and it does that and it just flies. And I, uh, I was talking to my friend earlier about it. Like he's saying that the best thing about those kind of goals is that I love goals where it looks like the ball, if there wasn't a net, would go on forever. Like it would fly for another 500 yards out of that stadium. It was such an. It's lovely when it hits the top corner as well and the net has to keep it in. I liked it a lot. <laughs> Can you tell? I mean, if he does eventually leave for uh, big money, as as Cregan said, that's what model needs to survive. That's how uh, that club functions. And they haven't. I mean, I know Kipri went at the start of the season. Yeah, to um, win for a million. But they need, you know, almost one a season like that to, to keep everything ticking over. And I mean, that's that's a good thing with the clubs that that's it, that sort of down that side of the, the table, that that's how they survive and that young players do get their chance. 
because... he's still got a long way to go though isn't yeah, he yeah yeah I mean I think and I think the the ideal thing is that you know stays for for two or three years before he moves on because I think sometimes over the past few years seen young Scottish players particularly go to sort of championship teams and then they, they sort of disappear off the radar mm-hmm. where it would be better for them to, to stay for a couple of years and then you'd hope from the club's point of view as well that having that experience behind them means that they would get a greater fee when they do move on. When we talked about Motherwell at the start of the season, we thought they'd be you know, in and around the top six, at least by now as well. But um, two wins against St Mirren and now Dundee, that's the area they're in at the moment. They need to keep winning games. They've beaten the teams around them, now they need to use yeah, this but, as I a, mean, a I, I would say that at the start of the season, we would said Motherwell and maybe St Johnson in this sort of bracket where they're not really expected to get top six because of the way Hearts and Hibs and Rangers come back, Aberdeen have been there. But they're also not nearly as bad as St Mirren and Dundee. And at the time, at the start of the season, we would have probably put Livingston's in that, and then Livingston have surpassed all expectations and, mm-hmm. and won't go down either. So yeah, they're kind of stuck in that no-man's land of, are they good enough to now push on and push for a top six place? But at least they, you know, they'll, they'll be safe. There's no there's no doubt about that. Dundee and St Mirren will definitely save them. Big Romana back in the team. Yeah. I, I think he's absolutely great. Uh, he was hitting some lovely little passes and some having a go and go as well. Uh, but we should really talk about how Dundee have done nothing under Jim McIntyre. He's done nothing but well, made them worse. Well, Jim McIntyre said he was quite happy with the way that they played. and um, actually, They only the... got beat 1-0 <laughs> compared to 4-5 and five of the past few weeks. Like, he played Kenny Miller as a left side. So they had Kenny Miller on the left and uh, Curran on the right. So the plan is to sit deep and hit on the counter against Motherwell. How are you going to... Like, there's no... Kenny Miller can't run the run the line all day. Well, we all know why they're bottom of the league. It's because they've only scored five goals this season. Well, McCann made them nice between the boxes, so at least they were nice to watch. I do wonder if getting sacked is the best thing that could happen to Neil McCann's managerial career in the sense that people will see... The fact that there's... like Normally, even in bad teams, you get a little bit of a new manager bounce. Mm. So to go in and the 4-0 that Livingston was, was McIntyre's first game, Lost five 0 to Celtic, lost three 0 to Hearts, and now one 0 to Motherwell. To get absolutely no response whatsoever, will eventually McCann get another job off the back of people seeing that it wasn't his fault at all. It's just well, you're bringing, a disaster. You're bringing all those players, right? There's so many that came in, and then you're trying to build a culture around the club and get them installed into a team. And then McCann's, I've been told, he's very easy to get on with at the, at the managerial level. So there's players who might not, have, you know, got on with him quite so well, and they've been thrown out the team and things like that. There's no steady back four. There's no set team there and now McCann's gone the style of football that was nice and getting them up the pitch and creating chances is gone they, they just couldn't finish them or defend them now that's gone now they're playing awful horrible archaic football there's no way out playing that kind of football they'll get an occasional lucky win against someone like Hamilton I can't see anything other than that is it not the case then that perhaps Neil McCann's problem this season is that he's not put a squad together players individually who are who are the right type of characters to mould and gel around Probably. each other because now it looks like they don't really care like the, the people players on the pitch there was one it was one bit in the game I remember uh, there was it was 1-0 at, at the time and there was a 4 on 3 Motherwell had 4 against 3 at the back for Dundee and there's about the rest of the players are just jogging some of them are walking some of them are standing watching it's pathetic like you, you can't do that you have to be working to get back especially if you're trying to earn yourself another deal somewhere else or something like that even if you don't want to play for Dundee you have to do something more to try and win a game it's personal pride surely if you're a professional footballer despite having Mikel Miller sent off Hamilton struck late on to beat Livingston at New Douglas Park substitute Mason Bloomfield with the goal Livingston have now lost two in a row are the wheels coming off 
Wales coming off is maybe a bit strong. I think regression to the mean is probably yeah. Uh, it couldn't continue. Could no, it? Exactly. it just couldn't. It couldn't continue at the level that it was going at. And the, the number of goals scored from set pieces and things. Um, I mean, it's a very important part of the game. We saw it at the World Cup, but you know you can't consistently rely on that. And the defensive record have been so good. Um, even just conceding one in the past, you know, couple of games, they've lost two games, one nil. Um, the problem for them going forward is going to be that the next two games there are South African Rangers, yeah. where you wouldn't expect them to get anything. And if they don't, then it's four defeats in a row, and that sort of momentum is gone. But again, coming back to what I said earlier, Livingston have almost already achieved what they set out to do. I mean, I'd be amazed now if they went down or even were in the relegation playoff. They're lucky um, there's two teams that are far exactly. worse than them. Yeah. So they can play with a little bit you know, of uh, the pressure off them. And to enjoy it because Gary Holt was on the radio yesterday and he keeps bringing up the fact that you know even playing Celtic and Rangers are great for like it's a great experience for those players that have been in the lower leagues and a lot of them haven't yeah. played a lot in the Premiership. So just you know they can the fact that they have that advantage now over Dundee and St Mirren they can go and enjoy it and try as as much as they can to to live up to what they've done so far. My favourite thing about the goal is that uh, Liam Kelly, the goalkeeper, comes charging out. If you watch the, the replay of the of the finish. Yeah. As, uh, as Bloomfield's go- moving on into the box just to shoot, he sort of runs out on like a cat and goes like, bah! <laughs> and like jumps like a star <laughs> shape. And as he does that, uh, he, he puts it underneath his legs. It's, it's really funny yeah. like when you see it next time. I remember Arthur Boric used to do that a lot for Celtic. He used to absolutely spread himself as big as he could. Um, listen, Gary Holt said that with the goal, his players need to be a bit more cynical, a bit more clever, basically saying, just take, take the red out. card, yeah. take him out, take the red card. Is that, is that all right? Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely fine. But it's just one, to say, one, one of the things, as long that, as it's good. One of the things that Man City, I mean, Man City do a lot of things well. One of the things they do very well is foul, like small fouls. Uh, as soon as opposition, you're going to have like, Guardiola on to you. If you keep saying this, they'll Guardiola on the phone. <laughs> he'll be at you. <laughs> I don't think Pep Guardiola listens to the Scottish football. You'd show. be surprised how uh, diligent their press people are. <laughs> and another positive for uh, Hamilton is their youth team are in the. The, the academy's phenomenal. We yeah, know. they're in it's the, of the well, water. We know this. Yeah. In, yes, exactly. They're in the uh, the UEFA Youth League, That's and right. they beat Basel on penalties a couple of weeks ago now. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know if you saw. They equalised in like the last minute of normal time to to take it into penalties, and they there's a, a a clip of the the celebrations when they score the goal, and it's a credible goal as well. Like very well worked. Um, but anyway, that was Hamilton's first ever European game at any level, and now they wow. play. Mitchelland of Denmark in the next round this week. I think it's on Wednesday. I've seen that clip. The fans really turn out for that, don't they? Yeah, yeah, it's excellent. Man, that that group of players must be quite something special. It's going to be really good for Hamilton fans once Aberdeen take all the best ones away <laughs> for free. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Monday after Hearts host Kelly and the bottom two meet at Dens Park. Dundee versus St Mirren. You've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddyneesmedia.com and make sure you check out our other football podcasts, the Totally Football League show with Caroline Barker and, of course, the Totally Football show with James Richardson. Totally Scottish.